footsteps behind you as you enter the woods. Night draws back its cave. Light illumines your path. Open your eyes. Listen. Welcome to Dark Softly Tales. Dark stories for dark hearts. I'm Mav Sky. Good evening and welcome to the coronavirus edition of Dark Softly Tales. I'm your host, Mav, and we've come to the spine-tingling ending of Robert E. Howard's Pigeons from Hell. Okay, I lied. This is not a coronavirus version of Dark Softly Tales. However, in the time of coronavirus hand-washing songs, panic seems to stir on all continents right now. We fear COVID-19 because we do not know COVID-19. When humanity comes up against something unknown, the flight or fight instinct takes over. And it seems the strategy we've come up with is control. Control the beast. Control the virus. Control the outbreak. Control the spread. Let me ask you a question. Has humanity ever been able to control an outbreak? I mean, there are things that we can do to keep it in check, right? How about instead of controlling what we fear the most, we meet it with curiosity and preparedness? An abundance of testing is great for starters. And yet, at least in the county I live here in Washington, the only way you can get tested is if you travel to China or have been in contact with someone who has tested positive. That is the only way that you can get tested. Ridiculous. Anyway, I'm speaking about fears of the unknown because Robert E. Howard wrote quite a bit about this back in the early 1900s. Along with his colleague and friend, which you may have heard of before, H.P. Lovecraft. Lovecraft is the master, of course, of that undefinable horror of which we shall not describe, for it's undescribable. We're eventually going to get into Lovecraft's work on this program. Lovecraft's work pretty much stood solid in this area, but not all of Robert E. Howard's works were about fears from the outside. Sometimes that darkness and fear sprung up from the inside. An internal battle of dark versus light raged within him perhaps one of illusion versus reality. In light of what we spoke of last episode, I think that pretty much sums up a good handful of his horror pulp stories. H.P. Lovecraft himself says about Robert E. Howard, and I quote, he was almost alone in his ability to create real emotions of fear and of dread suspense for stark living fear. The actual smell and feel and darkness and brooding horror and impending doom that inherit in that nighted moss-hung jungle. What other writer is even in the running with R.E.H.? Take my hand and hang on tight as we journey into the dark softly. Chapter 3 The Call of Zevembi 
Both men sat rigid for a few moments after the pigeons had flown. Well, I've seen them at last, muttered Buckner. Only the doomed see them, perhaps, whispered Griswell. That tramp saw them. Well, we'll see, returned the southerner tranquilly as he climbed out of the car. But Griswell noticed him unconsciously hitch forward his scabbarded gun. The oaken doors sagged on broken hinges. Their feet echoed on the broken brick walk. The blind windows reflected the sunset in sheets of flame. As they came into the broad hall, Griswell saw the string of black marks that ran across the floor and into the chamber, marking the path of a dead man. Buckner had brought blankets out of the automobile. He spread them before the fireplace. I'll lie next to the door, he said. You lie what you did last night. Shall we light a fire in the grate? asked Griswell, dreading the thought of the blackness that would cloak the woods when the brief twilight had died. No, you've got a flashlight and so have I. We'll lie here in the dark and see what happens. Can you use that gun I gave you? I suppose so. I've never fired a revolver, but I know how it's done. Well, leave the shooting to me, if possible. The sheriff seated himself cross-legged on his blankets and emptied the cylinder of his big blue colt, inspecting each cartridge with a critical eye before he replaced it. Griswell prowled nervously, back and forth, begrudging the slow fading of the light as a miser begrudges the waning of his gold. He leaned with one hand against the mantelpiece, staring down into the dust-covered ashes. The fire that produced those ashes must have been built by Elizabeth Blassenville more than forty years before. The thought was depressing. Idly, he stirred the dusty ashes with his toe. Something came to view among the charred debris. A bit of paper, stained and yellow. Still idly, he bent and drew it out of the ashes. It was a notebook with moldering cardboard backs. "'What have you found?' asked Buckner, squinting down the gleaming barrel of his gun. "'Nothing but an old notebook. Looks like a diary. The pages are covered with writing, but the ink is so faded and the paper is in such a state of decay that I can't tell much about it. How do you suppose it came in the fireplace without being burned up?' Thrown in long after the fire was out, surmised Buckner. Probably found and tossed in the fireplace by somebody who was in here stealing furniture. Likely somebody who couldn't read. Griswell fluttered the crumbling leaves listlessly, straining his eyes in the fading light over the yellowed scrawls. And then he stiffened. Here's an entry that's legible. Listen, he read. I know someone is in the house beside myself. I can hear someone prowling about at night when the sun has set and the pines are black outside. Often in the night, I hear it fumbling at my door. Who is it? Is it one of my sisters? Is it Aunt Celia? If it is either of these, why does she steal so subtly about the house? Why does she tug at my door? and glide away when I call to her. Shall I open the door and go out to her? No, no, I dare not. 
I am afraid. Oh, God, what shall I do? I dare not stay here, but where am I to go? By God! ejaculated Buckner. That must be Elizabeth Blassenville's diary. Go on. I can't make out the rest of the page, answered Griswell. But a few pages further on, I can make out some lines. He read, Why do the Negroes all run away when Aunt Celia disappeared? My sisters are dead. I know they're dead. I seem to sense that they died horribly, in fear and agony. But why? Why? If someone murdered Aunt Celia, why should that person murder my poor sisters? They were always kind to the black people. Joan. He paused, scowling futilely. A piece of the page is torn out. Here's another entry, under another date. At least, I judge it's a date. I can't make it out for sure. The awful thing that the old negress hinted at? She named Jacob, Blout, and Joan, but she would not speak plainly. Perhaps she feared to... Part of it's gone here, and then... No, no, how can it be? She is dead, or gone away. Yet... She was born and raised in the West Indies, and from hence she let fall in the past I know she delves into the mysteries of the voodoo. I believe she even danced in one of those horrible ceremonies. How could she have been such a beast? And this, this horror, God, can such things be? I know not what to think. If it is she who roams the house at night, who fumbles at my door, who whistles so weirdly and sweetly... No, no. I must be going mad. If I stay here alone, I shall die as hideously as my sisters must have died. Of that I am convinced. The incoherent chronicle ended as abruptly as it had begun. Griswell was so engrossed in deciphering the scraps that he was not aware that darkness had stolen upon them, hardly aware that Buckner was holding his electric torch for him to read by. Waking from his abstraction, he started and darted a quick glance at the black hallway. What do you make of it? What I've suspected all the time, answered Buckner. That mulatto maid Joan turned Zimvembe to avenge herself on Miss Celia. Probably hated the whole family as much as she did her mistress. She'd taken part in voodoo ceremonies on her native island until she was ripe as old Jacob said. All she needed was the black brew. He supplied that. She killed Miss Celia and the three elder girls, and would have gotten Elizabeth but for chance. She's been lurking in this old house all these years, like a snake in a ruin. But why should she murder a stranger? You heard what old Jacob said, reminded Buckner. As if Envy finds satisfaction in the slaughter of humans... She called Branner up the stair and split his head and struck the hatchet in his hand. He sent him downstairs to murder you. No court will ever believe that. But if we can produce her body, that'll be evidence enough to prove your innocence. My word will be taken that she murdered Branner. Jacob said, as if Envy could be killed. In reporting this affair, I don't have to be too accurate in the detail. She came and peered over the balustrade of the stair at us, muttered Griswell. But why didn't we find her tracks on the stair?
Maybe you dreamed it. Maybe as a Vembi can project her spirit. Hell, why try to rationalize something that's outside the bounds of rationality? Let's begin our watch. Don't turn out the light, exclaimed Griswell involuntarily. And then he added, of course, turn it out. We must be in the dark as, he gagged a bit, as Branner and I were. But fear like a physical sickness assailed him when the room was plunged in darkness. He lay trembling, and his heart beat so heavily he felt as if he would suffocate. West Indies must be the plague spot of the world, muttered Buckner, a blur on his blankets. I've heard of zombies. Never knew before what a Zavembi was. Evidently, some drug concocted by the voodoo men to induce madness in women. That doesn't explain the other things, though. The hypnotic powers, the abnormal logitivity, the ability to control corpses. No, a Zavembi can't be merely a mad woman. It's a monster, something more or less than a human being, created by a magic that spawns in black swamps and jungles. Well, we'll see. His voice ceased, and in the silence, Griswell heard the pounding of his own heart. Outside, in the black woods, a wolf howled eerily, and owls hooted. Then, silence fell again like a black fog. Griswell forced himself to lie still on his blankets. Time seemed at a standstill. He felt as if he were choking. The suspense was growing unendurable. The effort he made to control his crumbling nerves bathed his limbs in sweat. He clenched his teeth until his jaws ached and almost locked, and the nails of his fingers bit deeply into his palms. He did not know what he was expecting. The fiend would strike again. But how? Would it be a horrible, sweet whistling? Bare feet stealing down the creaking steps? Or a sudden hatchet stroke in the dark? Would it choose him or Buckner? Was Buckner already dead? He could see nothing in the blackness, but he heard the man's steady breathing. The southerner must have nerves of steel. Or was that Buckner breathing beside him, separated by a narrow strip of darkness? Had the fiend already struck in silence and taken the sheriff's place? There to lie in ghoulish glee until it was ready to strike? A thousand hideous fancies assailed Griswell, tooth and claw. He began to feel that he would go mad if he did not leap to his feet, screaming, and burst frenziedly out of that accursed house. Not even the fear of the gallows could keep him lying there in the darkness any longer. The rhythm of Buckner's breathing was suddenly broken, and Griswell felt as if a bucket of ice water had been poured over him. From somewhere above them rose the sound of weird, sweet whistling. Griswell's control snapped, plunging his brain into darkness deeper than the physical blackness which engulfed him. There was a period of absolute blankness in which a realization of motion was his first sensation of awakening consciousness. He was running, madly, stumbling over an incredibly rough road. All was darkness about him, and he ran blindly. Vaguely, he realized that he must have bolted from the house, 
and fled for perhaps miles before his overwrought brain began to function. He did not care. Dying on the gallows for a murder he never committed did not terrify him half as much as the thought of returning to that house of horror. He was overpowered by the urge to run, 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 as he was running now, blindly, until he reached the end of his endurance. The mist had not yet fully lifted from his brain, but he was aware of a dull wonder that he could not see the stars through the black branches. He wished vaguely that he could see where he was going. He believed he must be climbing a hill, and that was strange, for he knew there was no hills within miles of the manor. Then above and ahead of him, a dim glow began. He scrambled toward it, over ledge-like projections that were more and more taking on a disquieting symmetry. Then he was horror-stricken to realize that a sound was impacting on his ears, a weird, mocking whistle. The sound swept the mists away. Why? What was this? Where was he? Awakening and realization came like the stunning stroke of a butcher's maw. He was not fleeing along a road or climbing a hill. He was mounting a stair. He was still in the Blassenville Manor, and he was climbing the stair. An inhuman scream burst from his lips. Above it, the mad whistling noise and the ghoulish piping of the demonic triumph. He tried to stop, to turn back, even to fling himself over the balustrade. His shrinking rang unbearably in his own ears, but his willpower was shattered to bits. It did not exist. He had no will. He had dropped his flashlight, and he had forgotten the gun in his pocket. He could not command his own body. His legs, moving stiffly, worked like pieces of mechanism, detached from his brain, obeying an outside will. Clumping methodically, they carried him shrieking up the stair, toward the witch-fire glow shimmering above him. "'Buckner!' he screamed. "'Buckner, help, for God's sake!' His voice strangled in his throat. He had reached the upper landing. He was tottering down the hallway. The whistling sank and ceased, but its impulsion still drove him on. He could not see from what source the dim glow came. It seemed to emanate from no central focus, but he saw a vague figure shambling towards him. It looked like a woman, but no human woman ever walked with that skulking gait. And no human woman ever had that face of horror, that leering yellow blur of lunacy. He tried to scream at the sight of that face, at the glint of keen steel and the uplifted claw-like hand, but his tongue was frozen. Then something crashed deafeningly behind him. The shadows were split by a tongue of flame, which lit a hideous figure falling backward. Hard on the heels of the report rang an inhuman squawk. In the darkness that followed the flash, Griswell fell to his knees and covered his face with his hands. He did not hear Buckner's voice. The southerner's hand on his shoulder shook him out of his swoon. A light in his eyes blinded him. He blinked, shaded his eyes, looked up into Buckner's face, bending at the rim of the circle of light. The sheriff was pale. Are you hurt? God, man, are you hurt? 
There's a butcher's knife there on the floor. I'm not hurt, mumbled Griswell. You fired just in time. The fin, where is it? Where did it go? Listen. Somewhere in the house there sounded a sickening flopping and flapping as of something that thrashed and struggled in its death convulsions. Jacob was right, said Buckner grimly. Lead can kill him. I hit her all right. Didn't dare use my flashlight, but there was enough light. When that whistling started, you almost walked over me getting out. I knew you were hypnotized or whatever it is. I followed you up the stairs. I was right behind you, but crouching low so she wouldn't see me and maybe get away again. And I almost waited too long before I fired, but the sight of her almost paralyzed me. Look! He flashed his light down the hall, and now it shone bright and clear. And it shone on an aperture gaping in the wall where no door had showed before. The secret panel Miss Elizabeth found, Buckner snapped. Come on! He ran across the hallway, and Griswell followed him dazedly. The flopping and thrashing came from beyond that mysterious door, and now the sounds had ceased. The light revealed a narrow, tunnel-like corridor that it evidently led through one of the thick walls. Buckner plunged into it without hesitation. Maybe it couldn't think like a human, he muttered, shining his light ahead of him. But it had enough sense to erase its tracks last night, so we couldn't trail it out to that point in the wall and maybe find the secret panel. There's a room ahead, the secret room of the Blassenvilles. And Griswell cried out, My God, it's the windowless chamber I saw in my dream, with the three bodies hanging. Ah! Buckner's light playing about the circular chamber became suddenly motionless. In that wide ring of light, three figures appeared. Three dried, shriveled, mummy-like shapes, still clad in the moldering garments of the last century. Their slippers were clear on the floor as they hung by their withered necks from chains suspended from the ceiling. The three Blossomville sisters, muttered Buckner. Miss Elizabeth wasn't crazy after all. Look! Griswell could barely make his voice intelligible. There! Over there in the corner! The light moved. Halted. Was that thing a woman once? Whispered Griswell. God! Look at that face! Even in death! Look at those claw-like hands! With black talons like those of a beast! Yes, it was human, though. Even the rags of an old ballroom gown. Why should a mulatto maid wear such a dress, I wonder? This has been her lair for over forty years, muttered Buckner, brooding over the grinning, grisly thing sprawling in the corner. This clears you, Griswell. A crazy woman with a hatchet. That's all the authorities need to know. God, what a revenge. What a foul revenge. Yet what a bestial nature she must have had in the beginning to delve into voodoo, as she must have done. The mulatto woman? whispered Griswell, dimly sensing a horror that overshadowed all the rest of the terror. Buckner shook his head. We misunderstood old Jacob's maunderings and the things Miss Elizabeth wrote, 
She must have known that family pride sealed her lips. Griswell, I understand now. The mulatto woman had her revenge, but not as we'd supposed. She didn't drink the black brew old Jacob fixed for her. It was for somebody else to be given secretly in her food, or coffee, no doubt. Then Joan ran away, leaving the seeds of the hell she'd sowed to grow. That... that's not the mulatto woman? whispered Griswell. When I saw her out there in the hallway, I knew she was no mulatto, and those distorted features still reflect a family likeness. I've seen her portrait, and I cannot be mistaken. There lies the creature that was once Celia Blassenville. Who likes dark stories? People have experienced a touch of the dark side, and people who are a little wiser to the world. People who like their bones chilled and their spines tingled. People like you and me. It's hard to find a story these days that right on the dark side with a touch of whimsy, humor, and heart. Mavsky spreads her dark wings and solves this problem for you. Head on over to Amazon and type Mavsky's name into the search engine, M-A-V. S-K-Y-E. At Amazon, you'll find her Tales to Chill Your Bone series, Girl Clown Hatchet series, and Supergirl series. Snatch up Mav's cult classic novel, Wanted Single Rose, or her brand new release, Cold Hangs the Midnight. Choose your dark flavor and head on over to Amazon today. Or visit her website at www.darksoftlytales.com. You can also friend a Mav at Twitter with the handle at DarkSoftlyTales. Be sure to tweet hello.